Hi, I'm Drew Landry, Senior Pastor at Spotswood Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Appreciate you tuning into our podcast. We have been focused on thinking about having biblical conversations with our culture. We've been asking and answering the question, do I think and live biblically? Our last podcast, we had a conversation with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor where we talked about deconstruction and what it means to be deconstructing faith. She raised two issues. What do we mean when we use the term make disciples? I think those of us as insiders have a pretty good idea of what that term means. And then she also kind of pushed back with the challenge, are our expectations of what it means to be a disciple actually biblical? Where where do we get those from? So I've asked three of our Spotswood pastoral team to join me to help answer those questions. Dr. Dan Cook is our senior executive and education pastor. He is responsible for the discipleship process with our adults. He also works with our other pastors so that we can have continuity in discipleship. I've also asked our high school and college pastors, Dakota Gregg and Tyler Cooper, to join us. I want them to weigh in the conversation, answering those two questions from the perspective of discipling teenagers and young adults. Men, I I really appreciate you being with me this afternoon. I've mentioned a number of times in the sermon series, it's impossible to cover all of the content in one sermon, two sermons, 10 sermons. The same thing I think is true with a podcast. Uh, In fact, this podcast wasn't even planned until Dr. Pryor raised those questions. I thought they were very important, uh, and I thought they needed an answer, an answer from us as pastor. Uh, I'm not an expert in all the challenges that we face in the 21st century. I'm kind of doubtful anyone is, so I really appreciate you men helping out uh, in this process to challenge our people to think and live biblically. So I'm going to dive right in. I know you men have read, learned, probably even more than me. I'm certainly not the smartest guy at the table, but I want us to think about background deconstruction, deconstructing, and how do we help adults and young adults and teenagers who are thinking about taking their faith apart piece by piece, uh, walking away. I think if we ask questions that lead us to fall more in love with Jesus, that's great. If it makes our faith stronger and more biblical, that's fantastic. But I believe the tendency we're seeing today is people are walking away altogether. So when, when we use the words make disciples, or when we we talk to someone about making disciples, it's an expectation we have here at Spotswood. Uh, What does that mean? How do we do that at Spotswood? What does it look like in your ministry area? Um, I don't really expect anybody to have an order or we go in a certain uh, process in the conversation. So you just jump in uh, where you want to jump in. Tell us who you are and uh, where you are responsible again, and then answer the question. I'm I'm Tyler Cooper. I'm the college pastor here at Spotswood. I'm greatly privileged to be in this in this role, serving this great group of students. And uh, honestly, when I when I read my Bible, when I when I see disciple making happening, I I see disciples being disciples uh, because uh, that's what disciples do. They make disciples. If if discipling is uh, being conformed more and more and more into the the likeness of Jesus, and I think that's what it is. Um, that's what disciples do. Jesus was great at seeing those who were far from God, people who were hurting, people who um, to the rest of the world was invisible, people others didn't want to associate with. Uh, he was great at, at seeing them, moving toward them, meeting their needs, uh, telling them the truth about who he is, and then uh, calling them to turn from their way of life and to follow him. And uh, that's what Jesus did. So that's, that's, what, that's what his disciples do. 
Uh, it's 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 more than just not getting drunk or not looking at porn. It's about it's about seeing people, having compassion toward them, meeting needs, and m- most importantly, their 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 spiritual need of of knowing God through the person of Jesus and calling them to follow Him. So, um, when when I when I see disciple making happening, I see disciples being disciples. All right, let let me jump in, Tyler, because what what you just described is extremely relational. Uh, do our college students understand the relational aspect of what it means to make disciples? Because I think our tendency is sometimes we're programmatic in the church and people hear the term discipleship and immediately think about a class I got to go to or a book that I got to read. So I agree with that New Testament picture you just painted, but do our college students get that? Yeah, I, I think I think our, st- our college students understand that maybe more th- better than anyone. There, there's a hunger on their part. Uh, to to connect and to to enjoy deep Jesus centered community. Many of our students are after that. They're chasing after that. Um, I, I'm a big believer in 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 Paul's approach in and this is what I've pushed pretty strongly since I've been here in First Thessalonians. Uh, I believe it's First Thessalonians two eight, where Paul says, you know, being so desirous, uh, being being because we loved you so much. Uh, we we long to give you not just the gospel but our lives. Like we wanted to, we want to share life together, and that's that's what you see the early church doing. Um, if you visit our college ministry, that's what you'll see our our college ministry doing. We're uh, we're all about community. There's time built in every time we gather for community. Uh, we we enjoy uh, meeting needs together and uh, just sitting around a dinner table. Last Friday, our our house was packed with students sitting around our dinner table, uh, just enjoying community making disciples. Okay. I was looking for dinner plants last Friday. I appreciate uh, <laughs> not getting an invite to that. So Dakota, Dan, you guys jump in. Yeah. I, I would say with, with our student ministry specifically, I agree with what you're saying, Tyler. And, and I think that just in what you're saying, I think there's one uh, caveat that I would say is even a warning is that oftentimes you can go to one extreme, which is okay, we're going to go through this book and we're going to go through this thing and that's what it's going to be. And if you don't do your homework, I'm going to drop you like a, you know, a hot rock. Right. But then the other side of that, and I think that, I think that we've seen this happen and, and it leads to, and it can lead to this kind of deconstruction mindset because it doesn't involve a lot of biblical, you know, investment is the, the leaning on the other side, which is just, we're going to hang out. You know, there is a balance between that because you can get to the point where it's like, and I'm not suggesting you do this at all, Tyler. So I don't think that's that. actually um, what he's saying. <laughs> but, you know, you can have people that are like, oh, yeah, it's all about biblical community, 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 community. But you never actually you start saying that so much that you start stop saying biblical and you just start saying community. And when you do that, you lose discipleship. OK, so parameters are extremely important. Mm-hmm. OK, all right. And, you know, so for our, for our student ministry, you know, we, we have specifically in the high school ministry in my area, we have what we're calling journey groups. And that just fits into our whole discipleship process here at Spotswood. But uh, we have connect groups and then we have journey groups. Our connect groups is, is where we want to foster that biblical community, like what Tyler's saying, and that there's an element of discipleship in that. But then our journey groups is is where we really want them to specifically go through something that's mentored and directive. Um, so we take two to three high school students and we and we get them with an adult leader, 
and they meet weekly or biweekly, kind of whatever works for them. Uh, and we've produced a an eight-week foundation for them to go through to start with. And that's just kind of the basics of why do we believe what we believe? What do we believe about what we believe? You know, all of those things, because I think the discipleship can absolutely start with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, because you disciple someone to being becoming a disciple and then they disciple, right? So someone who isn't a follower of Jesus can be discipled. Um, and I think that by giving the foundation, we assure that they know the principles and the the non-negotiable things of our faith so that they can walk into going into the Bible following that and they can just read the Bible and walk through that and understand it and have discussions about, hey, I read this, I journaled this, what does this mean? Uh, and we set them up with a, the Robbie Gallaty stuff, yeah. um, his replicate journal and mm-hmm. things like that. That's kind of the direction we go once they're finished with their eight weeks. And it all in all ends up being about a year. Um, that they they do this. And then when we do that, we kind of expect them to start replicating. Like you said, Tyler, start discipling now. We kind of set them loose on that because that's really, really important um, because, you know, what's healthy reproduces. Right. And disciples should be discipling because it's a command from Scripture. It's not a suggestion. So how do you communicate to our high school students that once you get in a journey group, uh, here, here are the two resources that we're going to use for you because, you know, you mentioned we got to set some parameters here. So, you know, I'm a parent, let's say I'm a parent of a high school student and I hear that term and how do I know, how do I understand exactly what this journey thing's all about? Yeah, so one, we, we meet with our adult leaders that are doing that as well as we've got people that are not necessarily adult leaders regularly in our student ministry because they may not be able to invest that much time but they want a disciple, so we pair them up with some students. But also it's integral that we're not replacing parents. We're partnering with parents. Right, we talk right. about that all the time. Yes. Um, so the person leading that journey group is responsible, and they are supposed to be in contact with the parent. Okay. Uh, because the okay. parent is the Good. primary discipler of their Absolutely. student. And this is a supplemental factor to that. It's not a replacement for that. Okay. Sweet. Would somebody wake Dr. Dan up and see if he wants to jump in the conversation? Dan. All right. All right. It gets my time to join this party. Um, I'm Dan Cook. Uh, as mentioned, uh, I oversee discipleship ministry as it relates to the adults at Spotswood. I'm a simple guy. I like simple concepts. So I like to break it down if I can as simply as possible. So when I think of discipleship, really one word comes to mind, and that's the word imitation. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, uh, Jesus said that a disciple uh, is not above his teacher, but when he's fully mature, he'll be like his teacher. Mm. He will imitate his teacher. And to follow that concept through Scripture, it's interesting to see uh, Paul says three times, uh, twice to the Corinthians, once to the Thessalonians, imitate me. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting, he says to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you see there both a disciple and a disciple maker, what it looks like. Mm. Um, It really makes it simple for me. If I'm going to be a disciple, that means my goal in life is to imitate Jesus, um, to imitate his character, to uh, imitate his mission, um, to follow him, uh, to be like him. If I'm going to be a disciple maker, my goal is to ask others to follow me and imitate me as I imitate Christ. So even as a dad, uh, if I'm going to disciple my kids, my goal is to imitate Jesus in front of them so that they in turn can imitate for me uh, what it means to live 
and imitate Jesus. So that's a simple way of doing that. Uh, the neat thing about that is if you understand imitation, you can't imitate what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So that means if I want to imitate Jesus, I need to spend time with him. So that means I need to be in the word. Um, I need to spend time in prayer and get to know him. And that also means if I'm going to disciple somebody else with the hopes that they imitate me as I imitate Christ, as Paul said to Corinthians, I need to spend time with them. They need to spend time with me. So community relationship is very important when it comes to the process of discipleship. So at, uh, at Spotswood, as far as our adult area of discipleship, it all starts with community, getting people in relationship with other believers, more mature believers that they can imitate who are also imitating Jesus. Um, we call those connect groups. Uh, that's where it all starts. That's the foundation. So if you want to become a disciple, grow as a disciple at Spotswood, that's where it starts. Get in, get in community. Get, get, surround yourself with other believers who are imitating Jesus because that's where you're going to learn how to imitate Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting when Jesus discipled his followers, and I'll be quick, guys. They're already falling asleep. Um, they, uh, <laughs> he, he, did, he, he did in two ways. He, he had structured teaching. Yeah. So we, we can't say that that's not part of discipleship. Right. Jesus modeled that. But he also had a relational aspect. He spent time with them, modeling for them. So we want to do both. So in, in the community, in the connect groups, you're going to get the modeling, the relationship, but we have growth groups and that's the more structured teaching. And so we encourage our people get in a growth group. Those take many forms. Uh, it could be a, a woman's Bible study on a weekday. It could be a growth group uh, on Wednesday night. The growth group takes meet at different times uh, of the day and, and, of, uh, and of the week. Um, and then the final part of that is what we call impact groups. And our goal is for every disciple to make an impact in the world for Christ, uh, to, to follow his. If you're going to imitate Jesus fully, then you're going to be a disciple maker because that's what he was. And so we equip you in our impact groups to be a disciple maker. We, we, we tell you, teach you how, why it's important, how to do it, and then we equip you. But that's our impact group. So it's a simple process, get in a connect group. Uh, somebody just told me not to hit my earlier not to hit my wedding ring on the table, and I just did that. Um, He's the first. That's right. Don't imitate me in that. Anyways, uh, get in a connect group, growth group, you'll grow, mature, but get in an impact group where you'll follow through to, which is you're not a completely uh, completed disciple until you're disciple maker. So an impact group will help you complete that cycle. All right. We're, we're not experts across the board in this, but let me just have this for a time of discussion. So as we listen to and reread stories and maybe have conversations with students or adults who are in the process of deconstructing their faith, how, how have we missed communicating you imitate Jesus and you imitate those who imitate Jesus? Where, where did we drop the ball or have we dropped the ball uh, in helping people get connected with the process from and I think really, you know, middle school, high school is probably when it starts that they can understand some of the concepts that we're talking about here. What could we do better? What, what, ha- what needs to be adjusted? Where did it change? We can only talk about our context. I mean, if we could answer the question for everybody, I'd write the book. Y'all could do the forward. We'd all retire. But we don't have the answer to that. But just let, let's unpack that for a second. What, your, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, Karen, on the, the, the first part of this, she, she had a statement. She said, much of what we measure a good Christian by is, is culturally made in the church. And that really stood out to me because that kind of comes down to what what we measure a good Christian by is what we're going to disciple to. Hmm. And Dan, I, I think that you're right in that we should be discipling people to look like Jesus. It's the process of sanctification. 
which means that we have people have to have people that look like Jesus to do that. Um, and I think that our measurement for what makes someone capable of discipling others has been a little off. Hmm. I think that we've looked at people who have really good attendance yeah, or just show up to help or, you know, check the box, if you will. And we go, that's a good Christian, quote unquote, mm-hmm. when in reality, they may not have a thriving prayer life or they may not be spending time with the Lord. They may not be growing in their faith other than what you just see on Sunday or on Wednesday night. And those things are good. And I think that you see those things in people who are pursuing the Lord. But I do think that we can't just measure it by that. And I think that that's why it's so important, as you said, Dan, for them to be in biblical community, because that's where those things, that's where you talk about those things. That's where you start to see behind the curtain of of Sunday morning uh, into someone else's life. And if you're not involved in those things, it's harder for people to know what's going on in your life. And it's harder for you to express, like, I need growth. And that can be dangerous because that can make you more nominal if you're not doing Mm -hmm. those things, which can lead to, well, I've already met these expectations and I'm a good quote unquote Christian, but I'm not seeing anything in my life as a result, which can lead you away from the faith. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me when the early disciples were put on trial and uh, uh, during the trial, these religious leaders looked at them and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. And it wasn't that they'd been in church or they had Mm -hmm. done certain things. There was something about their character that it was genuine. They could tell. And I I think that authenticity is something, if I could just say that, um, I don't work with students, but as a parent, I I think that the younger generation realizes, I don't want to imitate that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's not real. Mm -hmm. And so when parents aren't authentic at home, in imitating Jesus, uh, when we compartmentalize, yep. uh, then I think they realize that is not genuine. And I don't want that. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. You know, character and conduct go together. And I, I think you're right, Dakota. Our metrics really need to change. We've counted people in the room for decades and decades. And, and I think we've got to change to how many people are actually leaving the campus and making disciples off the campus. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, if if, if Two hours out of the 168 hours you have every week, if that's all discipleship looks like for you, then deconstruction may look like a great option because yeah. you've just, from my perspective, biblically, uh, you have missed the deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Dying taking place on the front end. So I couldn't agree more. It, it's, it, but I think it's more comfortable to measure the metrics off the campus because there's no way really to say these metrics here are reliable. And and maybe the church in the 21st century, we need to stop counting and start just being, which is something we thank you, Dr. Dan, for your leadership. Missional living is something that we have pushed our people toward. It's real hard to put a number on that. It's it's real hard to put a name on that. But you see, you see the difference in their life because they are imitating the life of Christ. And if you do see them out in the community, it's the same person you see on the campus. Exactly the same person. The other, thing, the other thing that we've, uh, one thing that we've done in a college ministry, I'll just be brief about this, but we've, we've spent the summer, typically in the, in the spring and fall, we, an, we, we walk through books of the Bible uh, together. But in the summertime, we answer questions straight from the students' hearts. And one of the questions that students have been asking is, uh, how, how could there be a, 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 a God that exists that's all good, all loving, um, and there be existence of evil in the world? It's a classic question of, of the problem of evil. And um, I, you know, I think that 
can relate back to this question as well. What can we do better as a church? I think we could we could give our people, um, starting at a very early age, a, a correct theology of suffering. You know, because I think a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot of kids, teenagers, adults, they have this idea in their mind about who God is um, and how he should come through for them. And when things don't go the way that they think that they should, when they experience a level of suffering that they didn't see coming or what have you, um, they begin to think, well, God either doesn't exist, he's not powerful enough to handle what's what's going on in my life, or he's not good. He's not as good as the church has told me that he is. And um, I think that I think that that's one thing that we can do better. We can we can equip our people for a with a with a, with a good theology it, of suffering. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great point. But I think yeah. the key way to teach that's modeling, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they see that's that. They see that lived out. <laughs> I I think in Drew's right. I think we've we found the easy we what we consider the easy way to to count discipleship, which is, uh, you know, how many people are in the pew, what's the offering, how many. But it really, to me, the three words I would use would be modeling, uh, mission and uh, ministry. Uh, again, if you look at the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. modeling his character, looking at he served others and he was on mission. So if you want to look at a fully developed disciple, if we're looking, that's what we're trying to accomplish yeah. in spots with, that's it. Someone who's who's imitating Jesus in those three areas. Well, how do you measure that? Right. And by the way, can I say this? This podcasting is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. So, well, back on track. Um, <laughs> Note to self: Don't invite him again. Uh, you know, to 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 continue with that, this measurement concept. Yeah. You know, uh, at at the last uh, the church that I was at in Kentucky, um, they were very very discipleship modeled, and that was their focus in like everything that they did. And Tim always said, "The measure is obedience." Are they? Are they following through with the commands of Jesus, not just the expectations that we have set as a church? Well, that's biblical, right? And right. what did Jesus say? If you love me, be keep obedient. my commandments. Yeah, exactly keep my right. commandments. And, and so when I think about how do we measure effectiveness in this, I think about when we know people, when we know the people that are in the room and we're seeing them discipled and they're being sanctified, we are seeing their obedience lived out. And when you see their obedience lived out, the result is disciples making disciples and things like that. And that's when you can start looking out and seeing that there is a measurable effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, I wonder sometimes, and we'll get deep into the pool here, is it, as far as pastors and staff and leadership of a local church is concerned, is it our insecurity with our call or our insecurity with our leadership that causes us to want to measure the wrong things. How, how many people can hum, okay, I'm the senior pastor. How many people are going to come and hear me preach on Sunday? That's, that's my metric. That's, that's, a, that's a very insecure, I think, perspective of the people who are in the room. Because, I mean, you, one of the biggest crowds gathered for, in the New Testament was for a crucifixion. And Jesus spent all of his time with the 12. And that is what I think brought him the greatest sense of fulfillment. So, so I think maybe sometimes our own insecurities or maybe our fear of inadequacies and, and being at peace with, we work in an eternal time frame and we may never fully understand the impact of what it means to make disciples this side of eternity. 
and be okay with that. And I think it's been hard for us to be okay with that because, um, you know, we want to validate our, ourselves. We want to validate our life personally in some way, shape, or form. And by choosing the wrong metrics, we've perpetuated that decade after decade. And now we're beginning to see people walking away and deconstructing their faith because no one really helped them to, you said it, understand what obedience looks like, understand what mission actually looks like Mm -hmm. for me. I came to church, we told them what to do, and sooner, Tyler, you hit it, sooner or later, you run into a wall, okay, what you told me to do doesn't work. You know, I, I, I have not been equipped to handle this question of theodicy. I, I can't deal with it. So I'm walking away. Well, and I actually think that that is a large part in why we've seen the production of the progressive church. Hmm. Because when you're walking through your faith and you get to a point where it disagrees with the culture that you're in, yeah, you have to ask yourself, what is what am I going to agree with? And when the culture is telling you that these other things that what you're hearing, when you see them being different and you go, well, that sounds better because let's be honest, some things being obedient in scripture is not always what sounds best, but it is what's best. And I think that what has happened is people that, that leads you to a place of wanting to make the Bible fit better into the culture that disagrees with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's called cognitive dissonance when yeah. what, Dr. What Dan, you, what no. you believe. <laughs> Stay with me, folks. Stay with me. Well, what, cognitive dissonance is when what you believe doesn't match how you live. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you're just, you've got this uncomfortable feeling. It's almost like when uh, my wife's a piano player, you hit those discord, you know, that when you hit the, these different chords that don't match, it's just uncomfortable. And so the young people realizing, okay, this is how I live and this is what I'm told to believe. And again, if they've not seen authenticity, yes. why do I want that? Right. It's, it's easy right. then to offload that so I can feel comfortable again. Um, on the flip side, if what they've seen modeled before them is real, they're not going to yeah. easily walk away. They'll just, dis, you know, to remove the living, change that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. And, and, you know, we've hit that, I've tried to hit that so hard of the pendulum. When the pendulum swings, you know, it always overcorrects. And we, send, we, we have a tendency, I think, as a culture to focus on that small minority of the overcorrection, which I have to, as pastor, hold up Scripture and the person and work of Jesus Christ as a plumb line. And maybe that's part of it, you know, why I've tried to say over and over again, we're just asking ourselves, am I actually thinking and living biblically, because there's the parameters for for my discipleship. It's it's biblical, and it's the person work of Jesus Christ. And and maybe for the church of the 21st century, something that we need to be recommitted to doing is holding up Scripture as the standard of obedience. This is yeah. this is what our life looks like as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus' very first sermon, he corrected the progressive church in the first century. You know, that, you know that this this is what you've always heard, but this is what God really said. And I think that's probably what we have to come back to. I think it's interesting too, reading Acts chapter two, if you want to disciples look like, look at Acts chapter two, the first disciples. And I was reading through that and you realize, you know, they experienced biblical community. They, they experienced teaching, but they lived, lived authentic lives. They Mm -hmm. imitated Christ. They, they sacrificed for each other. But the end of that passage, verse 42, following chapter two of Acts, the end of that, it says, and many were added Mm-hmm. to the church. What a powerful thing it is when you have, and that's what Jesus' plan all along was, to create a bunch of imitations of himself infiltrating all the world. 
How yeah. cool is that? That's what his plan for evangelizing the world, and we've moved away from that. Mm. But if we could get back to that, that would be really, really powerful. Perfect segue to the next question. Um, wh- where do we get the expectations of what a disciple is? And Dakota, I love the, the phrase you used earlier because I've got a good friend who always laugh back and forth. Good Christian. Is that, all right, what's a bad Christian? <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we use those terms. But where do we get these expectations from? Uh, Dan, you've mentioned this daily quiet time sharing our faith, practicing biblical stewardship with our money, with our time, uh, believing we have a spiritual gift, we need to use those spiritual gifts. Uh, is that what the disciples did in the New Testament? Is, is that what Paul encouraged? Is that what he taught? Are our expectations biblical? Um, m- maybe we haven't done a good job of explaining the why behind the what, uh, so we can help believers who think, well, okay, I've hit this season, this stretch in life that I'm not sure any of this stuff makes sense, that maybe if we can help people understand, here's why we're encouraging you to practice your spiritual disciplines, because you will hit that point in life that you are going to need that plumb line of scripture to get you through what you can't understand, explain. And and, and helping people to understand, and I talk about this all the time, we have to stop looking at Scripture, at God, at what's happening in our life through our circumstances. We've got to let Scripture be the the filter through which we look at the circumstances of our life. So let, let's talk about these expectations. And and I, think, I thought, to me, that was one of the most... Uh, shattering questions personally that that Karen surfaced in in that conversation where do these expectations come from not everybody wants <laughs> I think that you you hit on it pretty well before when you were talking about even as church leadership why do we set the metric of numbers and things like that and I mean personally Dan you and I talked about this not terribly long ago because I I was concerned about numbers for camp and and things like that. And, and to be totally honest, that comes from a place of pride wanting to be able to say, Hey, this is what we, we accomplished and and being able to come to you drew and say, Hey, we had this many students at camp. But in reality, the number of students that we took, I mean, we saw a baptism out of camp. Mm -hmm. We saw students take steps of obedience and faith out of camp Mm-hmm. which regardless if if we had had less than we had, that would have been a success because students took steps of faith and obedience in in their walk with Christ. And, and that's one of the things where I think that my pride gets in the way of me seeing the, me having an actual realistic biblical expectation mm. for people mm. because I want to succeed with the students that I disciple. I, I meet with two, two of our guys weekly if I can. We've we've taken a couple weeks breaks because of vacations and stuff, but, you know, I don't want to set an unrealistic expectation on them because I want to be able to say, look at how good they yeah. are. Yeah. I think as soon as we do that, we're shooting ourselves in the foot mm-hmm. and we're going to limp through this at best. You know, and, and we have all seen over the last few weeks the fruit of some of what took place this summer, w- mm-hmm. the way the students have in corporate worship not been um, uh, fearful of expectations or we don't do it this way, to, to express the burdens that they have and to, to you know, it's it's been fun to see them lead the way in responding to what the Spirit's saying to them. So uh, 
may have, may have accomplished more at camp this year than we've accomplished accomplished in camp the last X number of years because of, of the fruit that we're seeing out of that, the long-term life change that Dr. Dan talked about. Tyler, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I think if we're, if we're asking the question – where do we get our expectations from? Uh, we need we need to be looking at Jesus. He's the one who's uh, who we're following. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if we're asking ourselves, where does a quiet where do we get the quiet time justification for quiet time? He he's the one who retreated to the desolate place. Desolate places are pretty quiet. But but do do people understand that that G- this is what Jesus did and why Jesus did mm. that? See that that's what I think that's the disconnect. Okay, well I got a quiet time because Jesus got away by just why did he box. get away by himself? Just to check the yeah. box. What took what was the fruit of that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. I think that's a great point. We gotta we gotta help people understand that he you gotta remove yourself from society if you're gonna make an impact on society. Mm, that's good. I use that I, in a sermon. <laughs> you know, and if you look at Jesus, you, you Tyler, you hit a great point. That there's a pattern that every time there was a major decision to be made. He got alone himself by himself, and he spent time in prayer with God. He had a quiet time before a major decision. And I think our tendency today is, at least people I've worked with for the past three decades, uh, after they make a major decision and it goes haywire, then they, then they need to have a quiet time. Can I talk to you about yeah. this? Yeah. I, uh, I think it's funny. We're, as a church, we're a lot like parents are when it comes uh, you know, with our people as they raise their kids. You know, you, you do this because I told you to do it. Know, and sometimes as a church, we tell our students or adults, you need to do this because you're supposed to do it. You're a yeah. believer without telling them the, the, the scripture that mm-hmm. supports That's it. That's good. And there's a, I, I'm dating myself, but there's a book written in 1994 called Right from Wrong. Damn, and you're young. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. I'm going to get you on on the spot because of how young you are. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this I got to um, see. Anyways, the author of that book uh, does a really good job of reminding us um, – it's Josh McDowell uh, reminding us the importance, especially reminding parents, the importance of teaching the, I think it was the, the principle behind the precept or precept yeah, behind the principle, yeah. but teaching the kids it's wrong. And this is why from scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think if we as a church can really get back to that, I think that when the kids begin this process of asking questions, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't base their understanding of right and wrong on what someone told them, but on what God says, because that's the found, this should be the source of all truth. And so anyways, I just thought that was interesting that we model sometimes as a church parenting kids, but we need to do a better job. Coming back to the absolutes, you know, and, and Tyler, I hijacked your conversation there, but that's, that's what we have to do. I agree with you, Dan. We have got to come back to the absolutes, and that's got to be what solidifies our faith in those times where we want to walk away, you know, because I'm, gosh, there have been times in my life I was ready to walk away. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was scripture that kept me focused. And I'm, I have no doubt that there'll be seasons in the rest of my life that there will be struggles, but I know where the plumb line is. I know where I need to start to figure out my yeah. direction through the struggle that I'm going to go through in life. That's just part of life. Well, and Drew, you, you had mentioned something as well in the last podcast, and you've mentioned it many times, but you had said that a lot of times we view doubt as like this horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and many people have probably heard like, you know, oh, if you're doubting your yeah. faith, you know, that's yeah. the devil coming after you. But in reality, I mean, the devil's not going to do something to you that's going to bring you towards the Lord. And a lot of times when we doubt, it gives us the opportunity to seek the answers from the Bible. Uh, and I think that that's where even 
uh, our expectations and our our uh, efforts for discipleship should meet. Because when That's we good. see people in a situation where they're doubting, we shouldn't just expect them to just figure it out, mm-hmm. but we should come alongside or, them and point them to the truth of the Bible. Or, or reject them because they're asking questions, right? right. <laughs> I mean, what better, makes place, us uncomfortable. what better place to ask questions than at church? Absolutely. <laughs> and so we should encourage people. And, and Drew, I think you, you mentioned just John the Baptist had some very serious questions about Jesus when he was going through a difficult time. So questions are okay. Mm -hmm. It's not the issue of asking questions. It's where you're going for the source for your answers. Yeah, even Jesus challenged the disciples early on. Why is your faith so small? Little faith is what he said. You know, how will any of us, I don't think any of us would ever put on a resume, oh, I have little faith, you know, (laughs) as as a bullet point. And that drove them toward him, not away from him, because he affirmed the fact that, there, there's something you're missing here, and they went to him to figure it out. Tyler, we can come back to you. We, we totally hijacked you. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> you know, I think didn't know you were still in the room. Yeah, man. I, hey, I, I apologize. <laughs> the old guy's having so much fun on the podcast, he can't stop talking. So, I think if there's one thing that we're missing, uh, I, forget, I forget the question we're even, ask, we're even answering right now. <laughs> biblical expectations are what we are expect. Yeah, are they biblical? Yeah. I, you know, I think I think one of the things that we're missing if we're going to be serious, yeah, if we're going to be serious about 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 discipling our our people is we got we got we got to get serious about changing our uh, our view and the way that we use our home. You know, I, I think that hospitality's got to become central um if if we're going to be serious about you know, coming back to First Thessalonians two, you know, Paul's talking about we're not just sharing the gospel with people. Yeah, that's that's critical, um, and we've talked about that. But we're also sharing our life with people. We're 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 inviting people in to sit around our table. We're we're using our home. We're seeing our home not just as a as a you know a haven from the world. Mm. You know, after a a long day that's of work, good. we're we're seeing it as a haven for the world to bring them in and. And to sit around our table and and enjoy a good meal and and get to know their story. I remember back in seminary, I, I had I had great roommates that that challenged me in this. We <laughs> just finished up studying some scripture and you know, we studied the great commandment. And my, my roommate went across the room and looked out at the window and said, "What if what if Jesus is actually challenging? What what if we actually went across the the road and and knocked on the door of our neighbor? Like what if we did that?" And before I knew it, that's exactly what we were doing, walking across the street, <laughs> knocking on their door. And, you know, they cracked the door open just barely. And we ended up having a great conversation with them and, and introducing ourselves, inviting them to come sit around our table. And, and as we got to know them over the next weeks and months, you know, we, needs rose to the surface. We were able to move toward them and meet those needs. And and we ended up getting <laughs> having, having this guy come knock on our door at 10 o'clock one night uh, because he, he couldn't. He couldn't sleep thinking about the, the stuff that he was going through and seeing the hope that we had mm. as followers of Jesus and realizing I don't have that. Mm. And I think that's I think that's something that's missing. We've got we gotta change our view of the way we see the home and the way we use our homes. Can I say one thing real quick? Yeah. Not that you have an option, I guess I'm talking. Hey, um <laughs> this whole idea of disciple making is intimidating to so many believers. Like I yeah. don't know if I could ever do that. But again, if you simplify it, it's just imitating Jesus and asking others to imitate you. 
And so I think that's what it looks like in a home. That's what it looks like in life. But you got to get close enough to people for them to imitate you. So you got to get to know your neighbors, your coworker, your your fellow student, and just let them see Christ in you. And, pro- and discipleship is a process. Sometimes it's discipling somebody to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges of the culture of 21st century, we are such a uh, nomadic culture again. Uh, we're just doing some studying today and, and came across a stat that I, that I found a few years back. Between 45 and 60% of Fredericksburg, people that we know are neighbors, they leave every 10 years. And we know here at Sponsor, we have a lot of people here for three years, you know, in D.C. doing specific jobs. And so that becomes an excuse to, well, I'm not going to get connected. I'm not going to really build deep friendships. I'm not going to necessarily join a church and get into a connect group because I'm only going to be here three years. And I think that's a two-way street. There are people who come in knowing that, and we also who have been here a little while know that. So that's why the disconnected there, where you guys know you've heard me say this and statistics prove it, when the most disconnected yet the most lonely generation that's ever lived in this world. And, you know, Dan, going back to one of your first statements, if Jesus said, imitate me, you can't do that disconnected. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica and Corinth, imitate me the same way that I imitate Jesus. That's not a class. That is a biblical relationship. And we have got to get back pushing into that and helping people understand why some of the expectations we have are the expectations that we have. I love how you started uh, answering the second question before the first, Dan. You have to spend time with Jesus. You have to spend time in Scripture if you're going to get to know who Jesus is. But I just don't know that we have, I have, let me, let me, let me lose the weed, that I have communicated to people over the last three decades the reason why I am encouraging you to spend time in prayer is because Jesus prayed. You know, he, 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 his disciples, that's one of the first things they said, teach us to pray. Not how to, but to, teach us to pray. I got an email, uh, I guess it was yesterday this morning, uh, of a lady in our church, not even sure I know who she is, but how much the scripture memorization of Nahum 1-7 impacted her life because of a family crisis. And it was, she had the words that she needed when the crisis hit. And that, I know, will be transformative from this day forward. Not because I said, okay, as a congregation, we're going to memorize this first. No, we held up the standard of Scripture. And when she was in a chaotic situation in life, instead of freaking out, she went to Scripture. And that gave her a tremendous amount of peace and a tremendous amount of direction. Tyler, you raised this whole issue of theodicy. When she was faced with that, she went to Scripture instead of anywhere else. And I think we've got to help people understand the power of the Word of God and show them exactly what Jesus did. Yeah, and I think we got to be willing to, to, as what Dan has said several times, is be willing to be someone that has been seen mm. as someone who is faithful and obedient so that when someone like that faces something difficult and they don't know what to do, they can come to you and you can point them to Scripture because... People don't always know. And I think that that's an expectation that we have that's that's wrong is that we kind of just assume, well, you've been coming here a long time. You probably know, <laughs> you know, you you uh, ha- you grew up in the church. You probably know this Bible story or whatever. When, when in reality, they may not. They may not know how to go to the Bible. They may not know how to read the Bible 
effectively and, and allow it to speak to them. They may not know what it looks like to pray. Um, so being someone that they can look at and see that there's a difference in yeah. allows them and know that you're approachable is huge. I mean, think about that. How many people are out there desperately looking for somebody to imitate? Yeah. Somebody real. So, yeah, I mean, we ought to, as believers, ought to be excited about the prospect that there are people out there that would love to have someone to model their life after you, also then modeling after life after Christ. Because they're going to model their life after something. Right. And there's a lot of other things in our world that are trying to get people to model their life after that. Mm. And if we in the church as believers are not worth imitating and seen, people will go to something else. Absolutely. And that will lead to destruction. Only other thing I'd mention is Second uh, Second Timothy three sixteen says all scriptures mm. breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I just highlight there it says all scripture and not some of the scripture. I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of our people, myself included, for much of my life, read the scripture uh, selectively. And there were many parts of scripture that I didn't ever go to. I went to the parts that I was comfortable with, and yet. There's huge swaths of scripture that I was unaware of, and who knows what could have been tucked away in there mm. that the enemy mm. could have exploited. Mm. You know what I mean? So we've, we've got to know not just some scriptures, our favorite scriptures. We've got to know all of scripture because it's all there for us. It's all the word of God. Thank, thank, it's all there. Thank God for the book of Nahum. That's right. <laughs> okay. Anybody want to add anything that we, that we've missed? Uh, I think these two topics were really important for us to, as pastors, help not only our people but others who might listen. What do we mean when we use these terms, and and where do the expectations come from? Relational, but within the context of biblical relationships, the scriptures are standard. This is where we point people to, and. Discipleship is just imitating Jesus. That's really what it's all about. And if, if, if there are certain things that we saw happen in Jesus's life, then we need to incorporate them into our life. That's why the expectations of the quiet time, of, of prayer, of stewardship, of sharing our faith, that, of, caring, of just caring for people. That's what Jesus did. Spending time with people, that's just what Jesus did. But I, I don't know that, again, I'll put it on me. I have been clear in preaching and teaching or in conversation well, this is the why behind the what. Just look at Jesus' life, and if he did it, I kind of think I ought to do it. And I kind of think you ought to do it. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this afternoon. I, I, again, do we exhaust the, the answer to the questions? Absolutely impossible. Uh, it's taken us you know, a long time in our lives to get where we are now to have some of these uncomfortable conversations, and it certainly is going to take a whole lot longer for us 21st century, uh, you younger guys working with the next generation to help them understand how to live as a disciple and understand why the expectations are biblical. So I just want to thank everybody again for tuning into our podcast, Conversations About Our Culture. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It'll also be on our website, spotswood.org. I'd also like to remind you one more time of what Dr. Pryor said in our first podcast. You heard uh, Tyler Cooper, our college pastor, mentioning this and giving us an example. Let's invite people into our homes, people who may not have the same convictions about us when it comes to Scripture when it comes to the person and work, work of Jesus Christ. Let's have some conversations. 
Thank you for listening, and I look forward to having you join us on our next podcast as we continue to have conversations about our culture.